Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Product Pioneer Podcast. My name is Vien. Today, we are sitting down with our guest, Raphael. Raphael is co-founder of Kanma.ai and a fellow student at Code. As a young cognitive science enthusiast and an AI pioneer, he joined the podcast today to discuss his founding journey and how his company is transforming human-computer interaction. Rafael, it's a pleasure to have you here with us in our Product Pioneer podcast. Could you introduce more about yourself, your educational journey? How did you end up at Code, and how did you fall in love with AI? Yeah, thank you very much. Looking forward to this podcast. Yeah, I'm Rafael. I'm 21 years old, and I'm just very new here at Code. Just like six months before that, I studied cognitive science because I was also like always super fascinated by human-computer interaction and this like symbiosis of like all these different sciences of neuroscience, artificial intelligence, and obviously also engineering. But yeah, I, I studied this. I was like super fascinated by this Neuralink video, which showed how like a monkey can like just control the mouse cursor with this motor cortex. And I saw, okay, I think human computer interaction will change a lot in the next years and decades to come. And I want to be a part of that and also really want to understand this. And so this like led me to to study this, and I saw okay when I pursue this this journey of really going deep into cognitive science, I would most likely be a research scientist, and yeah, obviously make like very fundamental analysis on the, on the brain, but would not like have the ability to create products and really be close to the user, to someone who's really controlling the computer. Um, which was my initial core motivation of really helping like CID designers or developers, even like music producers, video editors, everyone who like creates value with this wonderful tool of the computer. So yeah, this was then like guiding me to, or like, yeah, this led to basically me finding out other ways to like combine this educational journey with also building products. And I think Code is like the perfect place for this. And I'm super happy to be here and also like be surrounded with our super uh, inspiring people. Is cognitive science and software engineering an amazing combination? You are at the right place, I mm. think, I believe. And how about AI? Like how did you start your journey with uh, AI? Yeah, like, Back in Osnabrück, which was like the only university where you could study cognitive science in English, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was really about the like the beginnings of AI, which was like it's, it's completely not not the same uh, as the large language models we talk about today. It was really about Eliza and like how it all was beginning about the ethics of AI, which I think now are very very like we should think more about that and like you see for example like when you when you see organizations like Effective Altruism who really think about AI safety more and more. And so it, it was like kind of funny because we were talking about all these yeah, futuristic things already three years ago and now we see it happening. So yeah, and for me, like I always think of computing and technology as really like should have like a clear benefit. And like this fascinates me when you when you see how it really is applied. So this also is maybe the reason why I'm here now. Absolutely agree. I mean, it's a frontier of of human development, especially in the relationship with the computer, you know, the human-computer interaction. And also cognitive science directly, isn't it? It was an inspiration for Neuronet, right? So, I mean, like, I now I can understand how it's, it was very natural for you to, to end up 
with AI and then to start building an AI company. Yeah, but let's go back a little bit because we have so many things we want to cover, you know. So ChatGPT4 is now on the market three days ago. Have you tried it? What do you think about it? And what do you want to tell us about, about ChatGPT and the future of work related to it, you know? Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I obviously already like, I, I tried it like the, the minute I saw it because it's like available for GPT plus plan. And I think like the, the thing which for me as a user is like, it's, it's like has, has a biggest benefit is that you have like a bigger context size and this is like super cool for coding. And I, I already see yeah this way when you have like access to the API of GPT and not only this chat GPT consumer product that you basically can like teach the AI your whole code base and it really gets a semantic understanding of all the files, which makes like the job of the software engineer so much easier because right now we already like most software engineers are already working a lot with Copilot and GPT, but it's, mm. like based like it's only one file. So and now with this like bigger context size, we can really see this dream of having an AI which really understands the whole code base, which makes it cleaner and like so this is one of the yeah, things I'm looking forward a lot. And in general, you can see that this thing saw the internet much more than GPT-3, which makes a total sense when, when, you, when you think about how, these, how this model is trained. Yeah. That's sick. I mean, that's crazy. That blow my mind because I mean, at a PM, I am fascinated by data science, also by coding. But I must admit, I have never, ever really been a very good programmer. But with ChatGPT, last time we went to Hackathon and like with ChatGPT, we would be able to produce like at least four times of coding and debugging was so much easier. It's like, it's like it lists out all the options out there, the decision tree. And then we just need to go down every single step by step, as it said. And then we was able to, to debug and to produce code at much like faster scale. So it is a a little bit scary, you know, fascinating, but it's also scary. So I also talk with a lot of startup and also like VC and also do some research, you know, and everyone now try to demodify how ChatGPT is going to change the way we work. Because everyone predicts that we will be so productive in the future. Automation tool, we will be able to produce at least twice or three times or four times of what we are doing right now. A professional, a digital creator with the same or even like less amount of professional working in the field. And somehow it's fascinating and it's scary. So yeah, that's talking about automation. It's, I'm still trying to, to wrap my head around it, you know, like how, how could you envision that ChatGPT gonna become part of our our automation digital life? Yeah, because like GPT is a language model. Like a clear use case there is obviously that you explain your use case. Yep. Uh, and basically, the just as you already can code with natural language now, so you can say, okay, I want a, a web application which looks like Airbnb but has this and this uh, data endpoints, please like, code it for me. The same will apply for automations. It's already, you already see that. Um, so that you see, okay, I'm, I want to scrape this LinkedIn page and want to have like the name, the location, and maybe the experiences and want to create uh, a Gmail draft so that I can like quickly, yeah, just have, the, have a first draft of maybe approaching this person for whatever reason. Like, even you can then say, okay, this is uh, 
like where where our product comes in because now you would have like this yeah, multiple branches basically you could say okay I want to hire this person or I just want to get to know this person or I want to even just have, I have a question or a fascination about whatever this person is doing. Yeah, in a world where you don't have our product, you would need to basically create a like separate automation for every use case. So yeah. like hiring automation or yeah, recruiting, like not recruiting, recruiting and like getting to know or like meet up, you know, like a lot of different branches you, which you could go into and yeah, Sonic AI is allowing you to basically choose these steps, these fragments of an automation in real time, and it's getting uh, already suggested for you, which would just make sense just in time. Let's stop right there <laughs> because it's very interesting for me, you yeah. know. I mean, at first hand, we have witnessed how ChatGPT do it magic. I mean, the, the amount of data it can consume, the speed it can consume, like that computing power, no human on earth. It doesn't matter how, how smart they are, how intelligent they are. They could be able to do that. And then the, the ability to synthesize the information, to give prediction, because it's a language processing model, right? So basically it's based on probability and it's going to suggest information for us, but with a very lightly, highly probability that it's true. And, you know, and with, with the feedback, then it's going to get better and better over time at a machine learning model. But it's very interesting. So now people are playing around with it. They try to build their own automation. And what you want to build is kind of streamline or consolidation of automation and recommendations so people can use in their life. It's very interesting. Yeah. I think this whole space um, yeah, will get easier for the personal consumer through AI, but also like a lot of other technologies which we which we see so like when you think about business automation or like just automating tasks repetitive tasks uh, on your computer you have like these big suites like UiPath studio or microsoft power automate it already like takes 20 minutes to 20 seconds just to automate like to open this UiPath studio and it's not like this thing of oh i i just encountered that i do this a lot and yeah, you need to even like think of it of this like very actively. You need to have like this workflow first mindset of of, of really rethinking or like thinking from the first principle of how you use your computer. And I think most people just don't have the cognitive load to do this on a daily basis. Or like most people really have to get a job done when they use the computer. And exactly, as a <laughs> yeah. professional, you are paid by hour to deliver something, and yeah. everyone expect you to deliver something quick and clean and high quality. Yeah. So that's a problem. That's a problem yeah. for everyone because they're basically exploiting their professional capability. How much time would it left for them to build something even on top of that? And how are you yeah. doing that? Yeah, yeah. So this is exactly where Sonic comes in. Mm -hmm. um, like one big hypothesis we have is that and we already see that that we have an internet computer. The company Arc is obviously like putting this vision or also this like tells a story in a very nice way. But yeah, you can see it like when you go in a co-working space here at factory, people are entering their, their Arc or Chrome browser in the morning, having like all their web apps open and exiting it in the evening and they never saw the operating system. So this is also the reason why Son, why we clearly decided to build a Chrome extension, a very powerful one, but a Chrome extension with Sonic, which integrates into your workflow. So we see, okay, you are doing this task very repetitively. So 
imagine you are really like this this example of you you want to hire someone you want to hire an excellent person so you make a lot of research on linkedin and you like most teams then make an airtable database or notion database exactly and, and you read the them exactly. exactly yeah and so we would see okay you're you're like doing these tasks like copying the name and copying the location just as i said all the time and then you're pasting it into airtable and all of this is happening in the browser so we can keep track of that and then we see, okay, there are like clear patterns in your, in your, in the way you interact with your computer and we can help you with that. Um, but no, unlike these UI Path Studio or Microsoft Power Automate suites, we're not like this thing which you need to open and manually configure your use cases, but we are more like a templated uh, version of this and you can uh, just more or less apply the configurations just in time instead of like really having this cognitive load of oh, what did I configure like two weeks ago? How was the name of this configuration? No, it's more like a thing of, you see this as a common, you can think of Sonic as a two-dimensional comment bar. And the, the second dimension really allows us to have like workflow patterns and to, to visualize them. That's um, sick. You want to do something with a speed of talk? Let's stop right there because yeah. maybe we should, you know, revisit in the whole history of human interaction to really understand how did we come to this point. I mean, the future is very exciting, but we really need to know what happened in the past. How did human interact with the computer? And yeah, how did yeah. we get here? Yep. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I think like, obviously, when you think about human-computer interaction, the input device itself is always a huge part. So like, it, it's your, basically your bridge to the computer. And also like, oh, like especially in the long run, a very big fascination of mine. And this is like the keyboard and the mouse when you think about a pro professional user and this didn't really change. Like even the keyboard itself from the layout is like 200 years old. It comes from a typewriter. So it's not really thought from the first principles. It's Asian. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> Asian like, history. Yeah, when, when you look me, like when, when you... Um, when you see my, my co-founder Johnson or me using the computer, you will quickly see that we uh, go a different route. We have like this multi-layer keyboards, which allows us to basically have like 15 layers of, yeah, of keys just by hitting different combinations of thumb buttons. But obviously this, yeah, this, you really need to be fascinated and really have to have this workflow first mindset to say, okay, I'm going down this road of, yeah, rearranging my muscle memory to this, to this keyboard. But Okay, so, but uh, just as I said, I think the, the, the history of human-computer interaction was a lot about, okay, we have like this, uh, let's, let's say we have Word, and you need to see, okay, I have this toolbar, and these are my tools, and I click it's, them with my mouse. It's like the way we learn, right? From yeah. what I understand, the alphabetical, we're starting from every single letter, we make them into words, we make them into phrase, and then we make them into sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's changing, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah like... When we really think about how we interact with applications, there's, yeah, this big aid, like it's like in my bubble, I would say right now where people are saying, okay, will human computer interaction of the future will just be natural language that you have like an input window and you can say, okay, I want to do this, 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 just like you are already doing with, with GPT and you have this agent which is then performing your tasks. I think that like my current standpoint is that you as a creator or as a professional, you will most likely never start from scratch again. So you will always have like this personalized template when you like, even when you try to build something magical, something very complex, like a car in a, in a 3D space, you will be able to say, okay, I want to have this like BMW M8 and you know, you can 
you can describe it because in the future and like in the very near future, we always like we already will have also 3D models, which saw a lot of, you know, different like 3D AI co-pilots, which saw a lot of different 3D fights. So but now it comes into play as a designer, you have like a maybe an exact vision of how you want to like how you want different parts of this car to look like. And there, it's the case that if you want to make exact changes to this model, that will, like when you think it from the first principles, always be slower to basically say, okay, select frame tool and then mold the, you know, mold the 3D element, whatever, to instead of having these tools in your muscle memory and directly being able to apply these changes in the 3D space. And this is also obviously very important to really have a feel for what you're doing. So I think to, as a creator, as someone who's, like maybe as 3D superhuman, whatever. When you're not, like when you don't have this human in the loop, this human in the driver's seat who's still able to make changes, yeah, it can, I think, quickly get out of control and you have like a lot, maybe yeah. lo lots of models yeah. which look super cool. But um, so this, is, this yeah. is maybe one of the core questions of how we build user experiences around, yeah, the new capabilities of AI. Yeah. I mean, the thing is that it's it really very fascinating when, when now we, we interact with the computer in a much faster speed. So that is the thing here. And that is what I am very curious to know more now, like, like from you. So basically, as a professional who have, who have done their profession for years, they kind of have everything in their mind. They don't even really need to sit on their computer to do 3D modeling. For example, let's say car designer, right? As you said, they already... Imagine the car in their mind, the, the next car model, they have it. So, so here's the thing. So for professional, it's going to be much easier for them to dream about something. And then the creation part will go down step by step. And along with that, the way we interact with our devices or our tool that enable us to, to make the dream come true, like our laptop. Our designing software, right? 3D modeling, everything we train gradually. And I saw, I saw the video you sent me about the monkey. Like, it's very interesting. In the beginning, the monkey interacting with the tool and then it being able to play Pong. And then they kind of remove the tool and only let the monkey to look at that and to think about that. Because when we move our eye, actually it also reflecting how our thought is happening inside our brain. So it's fascinating. But also in my mind, I was thinking, oh, wow, I'm not sure how far are we from our current still very physical interaction to the keyboard and to the mouse, right? I mean, the, the mouse is somehow also connected to the way we look at something because we, similar to the monkey, we are interacting it physically. But when we think that we want to move it somewhere else, the mouse enables us to do that. And we are making a giant leap from a physical interaction with a computer to completely something on the visual, like neuraling interaction. How would you see every single step could look like? So when you think about the mass adoption of brain-machine interfaces, there will be one crucial part, which is, okay, are you going non-invasive or invasive? So a neural link is an invasive brain-machine interface because you have these small wires, which are even thinner than a human hair, which are, yeah, 
go to your brain. But I see one big opportunity now, and you see the first steps of that with non-invasive brain machine interfaces, which are sitting just uh, on top of your head. The main, like the main reason why these were not as interesting to build like real use cases around them was that the data output you get, you got from them was always like kind of unclean. It's like it makes complete sense. If you, like there's a big difference um, yeah, of measuring brain waves or you have like uh, something like an x-ray kind of a thing on top of your head but but now with yeah new advancement in pattern recognition and lots of data you also see that you more or less can have this noise cancellation effect that you really see like have a clearer data output with brain machine interfaces which are non-invasive and i'm like looking forward to this clearly and there are, there are lots of uh, cool scale-ups which are evolving around of around this vision in the moment for example is one of them that's crazy. That's really crazy. It's blown my mind. I'm very, I'm very excited to learn more about this, you know, and keep, keep in touch with it in the future. Probably for, for one more episode, I guess. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Talking about, you know, human-computer interaction, as we also have a, like, pre-discussion before, um, now we are becoming more and more engaging with our devices. I mean, it's like, what would we do the first thing in the morning? Usually I wake up the first thing in the morning, I check my phone. I went to campus, I went to work, I went to study. The first thing I check in my computer, you know. And I have some software that I cannot live without. Like ChatGPT also now become a software that I feel I cannot live without. And it becomes so deeply integrated into our lives that to a certain level sometimes I feel scared. And I also talk with some of my friends about it. But you have, you have raised us kind of discussion recently about how we are trying to make that interaction become more joyful. It's fast, it's lightning fast, but it also becomes so much fun that we, we are not scared of the journeys as we're getting on. Yeah, yeah. I think like one of the major aspects of what makes an interaction with a product very joyful is that uh, like is when the developers of these products and the designers really fought through the interaction themselves and then in the best case are power users of the product themselves. And this mostly leads to a very joyful user experience. And this can like, this has multiple, like I think joyful user experience has steps or multiple layers. Obviously the design, like how it looks should be joyful, especially when you spend a lot of time in a tool you also want your your room to look joyful so why shouldn't your or like look good aesthetic why shouldn't your software be that day but for me like even the obviously the more important part is how it functions so that you can like no matter what you do even if it's just an email tool like you see with, with superhuman for example and they thought okay how can we make it like as efficient as possible yeah that the developers of the product are thinking basically each user flow and especially very important ones through. And then there are also multiple aspects of yeah, like how you can enable the speed of thought effect. Speaking of superhuman, you see this superhuman superhumanification of, of SaaS that more and more like every big SaaS tool gets even like a pro version or a competitor doing most likely the same, but with shortcuts and with a yeah, with a user experience which is fought from the first principles and fought around the keyboard. So you see that when you go on the landing pages of new SaaS applications, you see, okay, build for the keyboard, design for the keyboard, whatever. And when you think about, okay, like what people, like how the knowledge work of tomorrow will look like and it's already 
kind of looking like. Yeah, it's it's one person who has maybe the productivity outcome of a team of 10 people right now. So this person obviously also has like a, a limited time in the day where he's working or she's working. So yeah, you, you want to make his interaction with these super powerful tools as, yeah, as not only as joyful, but also as functional as possible. And then thinking of how exactly this person is interacting with these tool set is obviously super important. And now imagine the superhuman kind of person who really knows what he's doing and really knows how to orchestrate these different AI co-pilots. Um, like besides the superhumanification, we also have like the co-pilotization exactly. of every tool. Like now imagine this person using only the mouse. No, um, no. So I, th I think this this sci-fi vision of this minority report interface or this Jarvis-like interface where you really have like uh, your computer being a body of yours and you can like put your your thoughts into it. And then like obviously this major question of, oh, are you the co- like is the computer the co-pilot or are you the co-pilot and he's the pilot and already flying your project and already flying the plane? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I think this is these are just um, some thoughts of mine uh, of what makes a user experience very joyful. Yep. Yeah. That that's true. That's crazy. I mean like that is exactly what we learn at code, right? So it's for every single application or software application we created, there's always the UI part of it and the UX part of it. And the UI part of it, if it doesn't look nice, we also have the tendency to not design that much. I mean, like, we are all human. It's the truth, the kindness, and the beauty. And the beauty is all the way at part of something that is so well-crafted with all the love that when we launch our product, we're so proud and our users love it so much. And the, and the user experience is the same thing. It's like design is something you, you don't really see there, but it's something you feel. And it's so annoying when we try something with so bad user experience design. Yeah, and I, I bet I, we all know that. We all something yeah, try that. I, I think this is like really one of the major reasons why people churn. So not using specific apps anymore. Then like the, the path of usage just doesn't make sense. And also, I think one of the major reasons why this happens more often than it should is that the developers of the app are often not the users or power users of the app. So this is also why I'm super fascinated by product-first startups where like the founding team or like the whole team is really using the product themselves and has like a deep connection to what they are building there. And yeah, when you when you look on the like all the apps on your uh, on your Mac or on your phone. Uh, and then like deep dive into the founding teams. I think this is like a, a clear uh, thing. You always see that the, the people are very close to the user and very close to the product themselves. Maybe speaking of this co-pilotization of everything, another thought and maybe another follows, like philosophic question I, I, I would put into the room is um, there's this question of, okay, we just so we're speaking about this exact, exact changes a professional or even just a personal user when you're writing an email is doing. So yeah, like you're, you're, you're not starting from scratch. So you're, you're writing your email with a pre-made draft and now you're, no, the question is how many people will really go like this one step further and make exact changes or will just like obviously send the email as it is. And I think with the email, okay, this is like, an email is not a product and like it's not like not on scale. I mean, for someone to become very successful in their professional, I know that they always have that. But also the timing, 
the kind of time constraint we have, the pressure to deliver, sometimes it's just a limitation. As a human, we only have 24-7 hours per day. And also, we, our brain has a certain limitation on energy. That's why a lot of successful people try to limit a lot on their decision-making. They make per day also on the tasks they, they need to do. And that's where automation comes come from, you know. I think that's perfectly, that's a perfect example that we should talk about more um, regarding to your company, Camera and also Sonic. Because I know that you are doing, you and your co-founder are doing very exciting thing in the field from our previous discussion and also from this interview when we know more about what you have looking, you know, for, for years now. So tell me exactly what Kama and Sonic are trying to do and let us know about some of our user persona. Yeah, yeah. No. Very cool. So I would say Kalmar and Sonic, they're one company. They're just different products. So this is one team, one uh, vision, one mission. Uh, like the, I would say with the fundament is the same. And before Sonic was always called Kalmar Automate. And we already knew like for months, okay, we need, we need to have a, another branding for this. So this is why it's called Sonic. So like this idea and also this pain of Kalmar is very like kind of old. Like I, I already had like this pain of having a lot of, lot of keyboard configurations and also like just using the keyboard a lot in different tools like 3D design, video editing, even just the browser with all the extensions like has a lot of keyboard shortcuts nowadays. And though then you think, okay, I want to be quickly in this, like I would quickly use these tools. So I need to have like this an intuitive feeling for these shortcuts. So this means I want to have a minimum in my muscle memory. And now they're like, different ways of how you can learn shortcuts or how you can integrate shortcuts in your workflows. And then we thought, okay, from what what would be the best product to allow more and more people to yeah, integrate shortcuts in a very joyful way? So same, same hypothesis as with automations. We don't think that a personal user says, oh, cool, it's, it's 4 p.m. Today I will learn the shortcuts of Figma or today I will learn the shortcuts of Photoshop. So you need to build a product which integrates into you your know. user. Same as with automations. You will not wake up and say, okay, today I will make my Gmail uh, automations to, yeah, to be, just be faster. This, will, this needs to be happened just on the fly. And yeah, when you, when you go on karma.ai, you will see that this is like basically a smart keyboard which is a toggleable window adapting to the app you currently have open. So when you're in VS Code, and VS Code obviously has a lot of uh, commands, yeah, you can learn the shortcuts of VS Code just by toggling this uh, window, which is like just like spotlight, and you like have this, a quick overview of what is currently under your fingertips. And when you press a modifier of your keyboard, this also adapts, and this also adapts to your custom configurations and all of that. And we are even, like, we even built very powerful plugins on top of this horizontal, like basically this, this single place for your keyboard configurations. One thing which really excites us uh, in a moment is the dictation. So you can press a global modifier and then you can quickly start dictating with Whisper AI, which is just, uh, I think Whisper AI just changed dictation forever because now it's really functioning. And then you can even like say, okay, I want to uh, post-process what I just said, this thought which I was putting into my note-taking system, for example, with GPT directly, so that you have like the summary of, of what you said. So yeah, this is this is basically Kalmar and Sonic is... That's crazy. That That is really very crazy. That is such a creative solution to the problem of muscle memory. 
Because like, I mean, I, I so need to learn shortcut for every single software application that I'm using. And the shortcut in Marple, the shortcut in Windows, the shortcut in different applications, of course, they are built on the same foundation because they want us to have less, I could confusion, say like... Less confusion, right? Yes, very less confusion and less effort as possible to learn something yeah, new, yeah, right? Yeah. Like As a human, we all have that. We are, we are so wired into our habit. That is so yeah. hard to chain. Creative solution. Yeah, yeah, this is also like one another use case of having a single place to configure all your keyboard commands. We just talked about the super humification of every SAS tool. If you really want to be as efficient as possible and also use the computer as joyful as possible. I know it just as you said, it's still the case that because you don't have a single place to configure everything, you don't have this idea or philosophy of universal shortcuts. So when you like have like your 25, 30 apps, you most likely also have, a, for example, a, a sidebar or a common palette, which you can... Oh, it doesn't work all the time. <laughs> yeah. So these are like these universal functions most apps share. But the problem is that you most likely and you, <laughs> you are confused because you need to open these uh, universal commands or just with function, functions with different shortcuts. So this is also one problem which come are solving by just syncing these configurations across programs. And like maybe speaking of this visualization, the thought and this idea is like we already see it in a different space. We see it with music. When you when you look on how this MIDI visualization, like Synthesia, for example, or simply piano, completely changed the barrier of entry for like just everyone who wants to learn piano, for example, is just crazy. So like people can without needing to read sheet music and having the cognitive load of like basically translating what they see on the sheet to the piano, they can all start to, yeah, they start with playing basic music and then like, yeah, obviously learn that this way. And we just thought, okay, like we can apply the same philosophy to the keyboard by visualizing what is under your fingertips in a visual way instead of saying, okay, you need to press CMD, Alt, R, and, you know, making it very joyful because we just, like, delete this, this layer or this step of translating shortcuts to, to the position on your keyboard. Into our brain, yes. Yeah. So I, I think, like, like, even in the next years, it will always be super, super powerful if you as a, as a person, as a creator like are have a super intuitive feeling for yeah, for the commands and still like still the keyboard is the is the fastest way to trigger an action <laughs> like a keystroke is yeah some milliseconds so there's not a like not a faster way to trigger an action when you like especially when you for example select a tool or you know you want to drag something in photoshop or whatever so yeah i'm i'm very looking forward to helping more and more people to just feel what we feel as like the founding team when we control the computer. Yeah, that's true. That's magnificent. I mean, bringing visualization to learning is such a nice way to really speed up the the learning speed and also to make it much much more joyful. Yeah. So no, maybe like making the making the uh, the bridge to Calma Automate, now called Sonic. Um, this was always a thing which, yeah, we like this idea is also, again, very old. I was just speaking of these RPA tools, which are like, we talk of them as legacy tools because they're not really integrating into the workflow of, yeah, your daily usage, your daily, your, the way you control your SaaS apps. So, what I mean, like, Sonic now has like multiple ways of 
how it can making the bridge to Sonic, previously called Karma Automate. So w what is Sonic? I think you you just had this point of user persona. So the person we are targeting with this with this product, because Sonic is a I hope, <laughs> I hope it's a self-explaining tool or a tool which is like um, enabling you to have a power of a power user. So have, have this functionality of just-in-time automations, but in a way which is like from the user experience so self-explaining that you just need to select the different fragments of an automation in a very yeah. visual way again. Yeah, so Kalmar for us when we think about, okay, who are we targeting, uh, targeting with that? We clearly see, okay, like cat designers, people in a, like who are want to be like Figma magicians or in like very, very confident in using VS Code and Chrome and, you know, but when we see Sonic, we, we really see like even broader. So you can think of more or less every knowledge worker in, in marketing and in sales or in product des uh, design and development because there isn't, I think there's not a single person on earth who has not repetitive workflows with his computer. And no, like at the current, at the current time, most of them are not like saying, okay, let, let's automate things. Because I think again, the entry, like the barrier of entry of automating things is way like too high. So the barrier of entry to, to get a power user approach to this is too high, just as it, it is with that's pre, pre-Kalmar. That's true. Yeah. Almost answer the question I was about to ask. So basically, basically the thing is like, I read a lot of research about how AI enable professional. And most of the time they say that when you are an expert, AI going to help you a lot. It gives you so much when you already know 80% of what you want to do. And AI can help you with a 22%. Because for automation, you also should be very sure about what you want to do. It's like when you're driving a high-speed car. You need to be very sure of the road you're going, how to control the car. Yeah. And for the people who is beginner, it's, yeah. uh, it's kind of a little bit of scary. But I'm so happy that now you have two products in the yeah, market. Yeah. And, and it, it, it really like brought a much of the, of the user who could be benefited from your product, you know. And uh, it, it's just so great when you have these two very distinctive persona in mind. And for Sonic, it, yeah, I, I mean, it's so amazing now that from what I understand, you want to evolve to, to reduce the speed of human also as a bridge, gapping as a bridge for human-computer interaction because it's such an easy way, yes. like, like voice and visualization. Yeah. Talking about Kagma, though, I understand it doing just-in-time automation, but there's still some... Thing I'm trying to wrap in my head around it, you know, because automation is can be used as a magic word. Like, uh, mm. how many percent of this is yeah. really automated? This you know, is, this is a super good point. We are currently thinking like about a new word for this automation 2.0, because as you just said, in the like today, when you want to automate your workflows, you need to be super clear about what you want to automate. I see every single step, and when you look at the user experience of Sonic, you see, okay, you have this fragments. And you can obviously say when you when you always use the same arrangement of fragments, you can just make say okay, like this is a this is a template, a playbook. I want to use this with a shortcut every time. So you can do the, exactly the same as you can do with UiPath or Power Automate with Sonic as well. But now where we see our like just a huge advancement is that you don't need to do it this way. So you don't need to be super super clear about every single step of what you want to do. Speaking of this hiring example again. You don't need to like force yourself into 
writing this like hiring email all the time you can at the next like when you're you're when you feel like this way you can just make an email with a template of just an introduction whatever so you don't need to be super clear before you automate or before you execute this automation of what you want to do in the end and i think this is like also from the way how it feels to use this you feel much more as sitting in a driver's seat as really controlling the path of your interactions instead of just pressing one button and saying, okay, like this will happen. And because you just need to go and try sonic.ai to see how this is working, you see like because of our two-dimensional comment palette, the next actions which would, would just make sense in a smart way. We have lots of metadata to make them as smart as possible to say, okay, starting very simply with when you when you have a text input, obviously it would make sense to maybe post-process it with GPT. And we can even select like or pre-select very intelligent prompts for you so that you don't need to write out the same prompts over and over again. But yeah, you're still, and again, with your, you can go through there with your error keys or even when you're a power user with, uh, with Vim, with HJKL. So you are the one who is selecting and really executing these fragments. And as I said, when you, when you have this uh, same ways of uh, selecting these fragments, you can still say, okay, I want to make a clear automation of this. You are telling me that you want to bring autonomous driving and dashboard design into the keyboard, right? So basically, from what I understand as a power user, the automation will, will most likely be recommendation. So I can see all the prompt recommendation, and then I can choose the one that's most likely. So by this, I don't really need to understand the whole workflow, but it will be much better and easier. Talking about that, this is amazing. <laughs> I am so amazed and so excited to try out your product. <laughs> and now, and only until now, and I think that our audience also super excited to try out. So tell us about your plan. What yeah. is your launching plan? Calmar.ai, we are already using it ourselves for multiple weeks now, already testing it with lots of people in the factory and all around the world. And Sonic is still like the, the backend is very, like the, the core fundamentals of the backend are ready. But yeah, because we don't want to ship um, things which are not, like which we don't love ourselves or which we see, okay, like this has huge value. Yeah, we are, we are thinking about combining these launches of Kalmar and try. But if you reach out to me uh, like on LinkedIn or just going on Kalmar.ai or try, try Sonic8.ai, you can like, you can have uh, access to our closed alpha if you say, okay, this sounds super interesting. And I could even see myself of like giving user feedback. So yeah, we are, we are not like super launched focused when it comes to our oh, launching is such a big thing, but we are really product focused. And so I think launching is more about the marketing side, about the storytelling side. And we, as a young founder team, we will obviously need to learn a lot about um, not only building the product, but also telling the story. So also looking forward to, yeah, uh, to learning a lot about that. You hear that audience. So basically, Raphael will have special access for us as yeah. the audience of Product Pioneer Podcast. So you can be the better user of his product and please give him as much as many comments and feedback as possible because this will all the way make the product better. That's, yeah, looking forward to, to also, like, as I, as I said, just reach out when, like, wherever you, wherever you see an opportunity to reach out. Looking forward to yeah, have a conversation with everyone who's hearing yep. this podcast. Yep. Yep. 
Thank you so much, Raphael. So time really flying. I mean, I have such a great conversation with you. I learned so much and I hope our audience also really enjoys the conversation. So yeah, I hope you have great time too. I'm very excited for what you are building to try this out and for the future of AI. It's fascinating. Yeah, it was a pleasure to be here. Thanks a lot and looking forward to the next episode. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Today, we have a wonderful discussion with our guests. Together, we visit the past, the present, and the future of human-computer interaction. We discover how AI and cognitive science can come together to redefine automation and productivity. Last but not least, we learn about our guest company, Kanma.ai, revolutionizing the way we interact with our computer and software application. By prioritizing joyful and efficient user experience, by providing visually appealing interface, seamlessly integration, and powerful AI-driven feature. These tools are enabling users to work more effectively while also making the process more enjoyable. One more episode, one more insightful story, one more interesting guest. So stay tuned, audience, for the next episode. We are very excited for the future of AI. Let's discover it together.